The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Eileen Elias Freeman once said, Angels shine from without because their spirits are lit from within by the light of God. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do angels help us in daily life? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Okay, how do angels help us in daily life? Well, look, as far as I'm concerned, angels are pretty much a mystery to us. I think that we have very limited knowledge of what goes on up there in heaven, and I think we're just given glimpses of what angels have done here on earth at the command of God. Further, we have no strong biblical reason to believe that we should be seeking out or messaging with angels here and now. Yet, myriads of people believe in and pursue not only identifying angels in their daily life, they pursue communication with them as well. So, who's right in all of this? How do we go about finding the genuine, spin-free truth about angels? Are they here on earth? Do they protect some or all of us? Are we supposed to get to know them? Jonathan, lots and lots of questions about a subject that uh, I think captures the imagination of lots and lots of people. I mean, angels from heaven. Today, in today's podcast, picturing this idea of angels from heaven brings all kinds of images into our minds. Now, some of the images are a little silly, you know, singing on clouds with harps, flying around with mighty wings, halos, all of those things. Then, of course, just to throw something else into the mix, there's the angel of death. You know, just it's in the scriptures, so that's not the, the, the happiest look at an angel. And, and so here's the thing. Did, did you know, did you know that there are very few of the myriads of heavenly hosts whose names were revealed? Very, very few. Who are they? Why don't we know names of others? How many are named? Those are the things we're going to, some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Also, we're going to be talking about power. What kind of power do angels have and how do they use it? Do all angels have a mission? Are we supposed to try to get to know them and know what their mission is? Can we help angels? Those are some of the other things we're talking about. Does everyone really have a guardian angel? We're going to be talking about that question. And you know, the guardian angel question, Jonathan, a lot of people may not like the answer to that one. So, <laughs> well, you know, you got to say, call it the way you see it, okay? So first of, of all, first off though, let's see how much we know about heaven and the social order that God has in place up there. And our limited, we do have very limited knowledge, Jonathan, and so we're, we're going to be reading some scriptures and trying to put them together as best as we can, and uh, we really are not authoritative on this, honestly and truly. So what's the first question we want to get into? 
Well, Rick, it's where do angels come from? All right, let's let's assemble some background. Now, we're going to be reading a scripture from Nehemiah 9.6, and this scripture is Israel confessing their sins after they rebuilt the walls and with, with Nehemiah. And Jonathan, I don't know, a year and a half ago, we did, a, a, a I think, a two-part series on Nehemiah. Just a, oh, that's right. An inspiring story of coming together and doing the work of God. And the, the reason we're quoting this Nehemiah scripture is angels are mentioned in here, and we can deduce from this coming scripture that angels were created. They weren't always there. Nehemiah 9, 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly hosts bow down before you. So whatever is up there... (laughs) Nehemiah is calling the heavenly host bows down before you. You notice he didn't call them angels. That is interesting. Why, Rick? Well, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to answer that right now. I think I know why, but I might not. And <laughs> so we'll, we'll see as we go. But the first point is angels were created and they're given uh, um, the what's in heaven. Ain't there there is a there is a massive massive group of beings that are called collectively the heavenly host that's okay so, so i think that makes that's sense. that's the biggest description that we have now let's okay. start to to zero in okay let's see some diversity within this heavenly host and we're going to be looking at a couple of other things that come into play now in terms of heavenly beings job 38 verses 4 through 7 Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measures, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So now, what have we added to the mix, Jonathan? We've got the heavenly host, and now we're more specific with what? We are, Rick. Uh, the thing that's first mentioned is the morning stars. That's that's an interesting title. And okay, so you've got the morning stars, and who else? And all the sons of God. So now this heavenly host. Again, there's there's a lot of maybes in here, but maybe this heavenly host is like the the biggest picture. And now you've got the morning stars and the sons of God as part of the heavenly host. Mm-hmm. Okay? Makes sense. So we're trying to step by step, lay some groundwork and foundation, say, what goes on in heaven? I mean, did you ever stop to think about how does it actually work up there in heaven? <laughs> it's it's fascinating to try to imagine. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't think that we have even a minor clue as to how it actually really truly works. I think that our our imaginations and our minds and our information is so limited, and God is so great that, we will, in the future, when some things are beginning to be revealed, we'll be in utter awe at, at how all of this works and how vast it all is. So we've got the heavenly host, kind of like a big, big sweeping picture, the morning stars, something very specific, and then all of the sons of God shouting for joy, and this is in the creative process. So now let's zero in even more. Let's get more specific within all of this because there's some diversity popping up here. There are something called cherubim in heaven. Genesis 3.24. So he drove the man out 
and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So, Jonathan, when you look at that application and you see cherubim there, is that when? Let me back up. You know, a lot of times, if you if you look, go to a jewelry store, and sometimes the little jewelry angel things that you can, you know, you know that a lot of you know, women, you know, pin on their on their on their 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 clothing, they're they're called. Oh, you know, it's a little cherub, you know, little mm-hmm. cherubim. Does this sound like a cute little cherubim to you? <laughs> no, this is a mighty and strong angel that is guarding and protecting any person from getting near this tree, and no one's going to get by them. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> cute here. No, there's not. <laughs> okay, there's something fearsome here. There's something with a huge mission here. Next, there, there's a few scriptures that talk about cherubim. We're only going to just touch on one because we just want to get some groundwork. Next, scripture we want to go to is an amazing vision of a throne scene in heaven. This is from Isaiah chapter 6, and introducing, for the only time, another brand of heavenly host or angel called seraphim. And let's go to that, Isaiah 6, 1 and 2. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. That, I'm sorry, that's weird. (laughs) Okay, that's just, that's a strange, strange vision. And you wonder how literal or symbolic that is. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But what we do know is that we've got this heavenly host We've got the morning stars. We've got all the sons of God. We've got specifically cherubim and specifically seraphim. So there are different names, different titles for this heavenly host. Uh, and and you know we do believe that these are these the the, uh, the cherubim and seraphim are actually angels. So again, the heavenly host divided into subsets: morning stars, sons of God, cherubim, seraphim. Where do angels, actual regular old angels, come into play? Okay, <laughs> because we're talking about this, this all this other stuff. Let's get now begin to focus on regular angels that, as we would envision them, or more close to what we would envision anyway. Let's go first though to a soundbite from a uh, CBN.com. This is a strange encounter, a real life angel visitation, and this is a true story of a gentleman who was driving down a road. Uh, when a tornado hit. So let's listen. And this was a big tornado. At, at the beginning, it's hard to hear what he says, but I think he says it's an F4 tornado. So that's huge. Let's listen. It was F4. It's over 180 mile an hour winds, I was told. But uh, I, I, it, it got wider after it had just touched down uh, probably a half a mile from from where I was at. It looked like it was 250, 300 yards from me when, when I first saw it. They say get in a ditch, but one of that magnitude, I wouldn't have never survived that. It was sucking things up out of the ground. But I felt led to go to that bridge, and I knew I had to get there. They tell you don't get under a bridge. That's the worst thing you can do, but when that's all you got. Once Jimmy made it to the underpass, the tornado was already on him. Jimmy remembers in the midst of the storm, he called out to God. I was praying that the Lord save me. I'd get out of the truck, jump over the guardrail, and start up that hill. And that hill is, 
about as steep as these walls in this home. And me trying to run, and the wind's already hit me in the face and throwing things. I mean, there's debris coming at me. And, uh, I mean, I'm digging trying to get up that hill. That has got to be, like, the scariest moment of life when there's so much commotion and power around you that can literally suck your life away. That's scary. It is. I just can't even fathom what the this guy... Yeah. The adrenaline. Uh, to get up that that wall that he got up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. So, you know, and obviously we're, there's going to be something to do with angels coming up in, in that soundbite uh, next time around, so we'll stay with us for that. But it, it, it just sets the table for the question, you know, how do angels help us in daily life? Do angels help us in daily life? What's their role? Well, let's back up a little bit, Jonathan. What does the word angel actually mean uh, in, in the Old Testament? Well, Rick, it means to dispatch as a deputy or a messenger or a representative. Okay, so someone to to be dispatched as a as a deputy to to go as a representative of something very important, and I think that's an important factor as we look at angels. Genesis twenty two ten and eleven, um, a very very well known angelic visitation. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. So you have an angel of the Lord, a dispatched deputy, a messenger, a representative of the Lord calling out to Abraham, getting his attention and obviously, uh, we know the story about how Isaac is spared and so forth. So th- that's a pretty powerful thing. It was. Because Abraham was a faithful, faithful follower of God. This son, Isaac, was the promised seed that was born to Abraham in his old age. And so you've got this angel, this messenger, intervening at just the right moment. Let's hold on to that thought. We'll come back around to that. Let's change gears, Jonathan, for a minute. Okay. Uh, And you know what's coming. Oh, I do. And I know you're excited about this. Oh, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We've got a series of sound bites, and we're playing these for a very specific reason. This is uh, from a YouTube video, How to Recognize Signs and Symbols from Angels. Now, look, there's a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives on angels in the world in which we live. This woman has very specific perspectives on, on, on being involved in the angels that are around you, and she truly believes that angels are trying to manifest themselves to you. So we're going to share with you some of what she believes, she and many other people, believe are the ways that angels are trying to get your attention. Listen carefully. Here are some angel signs that I have personally experienced. Feathers. Have you ever been walking and a feather of any color appears in your walkway? Maybe you're getting into your car and you look down and a feather is just sitting there waiting for you to notice it. You think, well, there's a lot of birds around here. Well, think again. Birds are messengers from spirit. And they just left you a little piece trying to get your attention. Another sign from the angels is coins especially nickels and pennies. Have you ever been finding change laying around for no apparent reason? Well, there is a reason. The angel's trying to get your attention. 
ask them to bring you the messages that they feel are best for you to know right now. How about TV shows and commercials? Ever, th- ever been thinking about something or stressing about something or someone while you're flicking through the channels and then someone on TV gives you your answers? Nope. It's not your imagination, and yes, it is the work of the angels. So, Jonathan, that's the introduction. She has many, 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 many more signs that we will be touching on. Okay, feathers, coins, and TV. Yeah, and and again, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on this. So what we want to do is compare some of these perspectives and look at them through biblical eyes and see how it all matches up or how it all doesn't match up. We want to just kind of put it in, put it, get a sense of it from what people think and from what the Bible actually says. With this subject, Rick, something came to mind in Exodus twenty-five eighteen to twenty-two, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, God had the Israelites make the two angels out of gold for the Ark of the Covenant, and it's neat because God gave them a complete description of what an angel should look like. It had two wings that were raised high and the head was to bow low and they were at opposite ends. So he he really gave us a picture, a description that we would not have known except for that that experience. Yeah, and and that's a really good point. So we have a lot of hints about angels. The question is, what are we supposed to do with them? What's our first angel observation for today's podcast? The heavenly creation of God is complex and has a hierarchy. We know very little about most of their hierarchy and what life and responsibility in heaven actually looks like. And that's the thing. We know very little. But you know what? The impressive thing here, here are some angel signs that the I impressive let's try it again, Rick. The impressive thing here is that heaven is big. The heavenly host is awesome and God reigns over all of it. Are there any angels that we know more about? certain angels who show up more than others. We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. As we move forward, we're going to focus entirely on angels and their relationship to the human family. Much of what we discover next will help us to see not only more about the spiritual hierarchy, but it will begin to clearly define just how angels were permitted to interact with humanity and what the limitations were. And so it's important, Jonathan, to understand two things. There was permission for angels to interact with humanity, and there was limitation on how those angels were supposed to interact with humanity. So we've got to take both of those pieces seriously if we want to get a grip on true angels from heaven and what they do and what they don't do. So let's go... um, Back to the uh, the uh, encounter that uh, that gentleman Billy was having. He's he's running away, hiding from an F four tornado. He's climbing under one of those concrete bridges and climbing up one of those really really steep steep things to to hide because the thing is just going to suck up everything in its path. 
Let's hear what happens next. And uh, I didn't think I was going to make When he made it to the top of the underpass, someone was already there. When I got up under there, I see this fellow sitting on this blanket. I was scared out of my mind. And I rode up and got right in his face. I said, sir, we got to take cover. It's tornado. And he looked at me and he stood up. And it was like everything slowed down at that point. He said, uh, is that right? And that's all he said. And he said, it, no concern. It was just like, what are you worried about? That's weird. <laughs> that is. I mean, I've never, I've never heard a tornado, but, uh, you know, they say it sounds like a freight train. And when you uh, are in that environment, it's unmistakable and it's scary. And, you know, for this guy to say, oh, is that right? It's like, wait, 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 you know, wake up. You know, there's something, something big going on here. Anyway, we'll come back to his story and, and discuss it a little further as we go. Gabriel is one of the angels that's named in the Bible. Now, here's an angel who was tasked with the delivery of messages of the highest importance. Gabriel was sent to Daniel, the great time prophet of the Old Testament. So let, let's just drop in on Gabriel. He, he actually had conversations with Daniel, and this is very, very unusual. Daniel 9.21. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And there's a lot to this interaction. We're just touching on it because it mentions the name here. And it says the man Gabriel, but we know he was uh, angelic by the context. Okay. Yes. And Gabriel was there to give comfort and direction to Daniel. And he's there because God sent him because Daniel's work was really, really important. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more. I want to get onto two other examples of Gabriel showing up. Now, here's an angel that actually shows up in the Old Testament and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later shows up again in the New Testament. He was sent to Zacharias, who was the future father of John the Baptist, to tell John that he was going to have a son in his old age. Luke 1, 19. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So the interesting thing here is Gabriel is very specific about saying, I have been sent to speak to you. When he spoke to Daniel, we didn't quote the part of the scripture, but he tells Daniel, I was sent to you, and, and I was actually delayed in coming because there was a lot of there was a lot of interference, spiritual interference in the way, uh, and different part of the story. We'll, we'll we'll touch on that maybe a little bit later, um, but Gabriel has, is has a habit of being sent and then showing up. He did it with Daniel. He did it with Zacharias. Remember, Zacharias was like kind of doubting. Oh yeah, and uh, he paid the price for that doubting, didn't he, Rick? Yeah. What was the price? Well, he wasn't able to speak right. uh, until after the birth of John the Baptist, his son. And his first words were to say his name is John. That's right. Because that's what Gabriel told him. And it's like his very first words were to fulfill what he was supposed to. He learned his lesson. Oh, yes. Gabriel also shows up with Mary, the future mother of Jesus. Luke 1, 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man 
whose name was Joseph. And this is important because here this young woman is pregnant and she had never been with anyone and you need an angel to straighten that out for you. This is not the kind of thing you just reason through. How, how could I actually have a child if I was never with a man? I mean, that would be <laughs> the question. It w- and and it's, it was an enormous question and her her betrothed husband Joseph had to have divine intervention to let him know it was okay. That's right, because Gabriel visited him also, didn't he? Yeah, so you've got this sense of something way bigger that needs explanation. Enter Gabriel. With Daniel, he was the great time prophet. We'll touch on that in a couple more minutes. Enter Gabriel. With Zacharias, John the Baptist was to be the one to introduce Jesus. Enter Gabriel. With the birth of Jesus, enter Gabriel. So here's the thing. Gabriel is shown to us in Scripture as having power, and very specific uh, missions from God. Important missions. Right, right. Big, earth-changing, humanity-changing missions. And for those of us who think Gabriel will be, will be engaging with us personally in our, in, in our personal interaction, folks, think again. Okay? The only evidence we have of Gabriel is things that are beyond any of us here at this time. Period. So I think... Setting the height of the responsibility and privilege of angels is really important here at this, at this point in our podcast. So while we're setting the height with such respect, let's go back to recognizing signs and symbols from angels, just to contradict what we just said. How about clouds? Have you ever looked up in the sky and seen an angel outlined in the clouds? What about a heart or an animal? Nope, you do not need to go to see the eye doctor nor the psychologist it's your angels trying to get your attention let them know you notice them and they will continue to bring you divine messages angels contact us through music did you ever wake up singing a song in your mind for no apparent reason maybe you have lyrics stuck in your head and you continue to hum the song for days on end What do the lyrics say? What's the meaning of these lyrics in your life? Find the message in every ounce of song you hear. Rainbows are another sign that the angels bring. Since the time of Noah's Ark, rainbows have been symbolic of God's promise of love, care, support, and protection. Rainbows signal that your entire situation is being taken care of by them. So we have cloud songs and rainbows here, Jonathan. And and look, I I don't mean to be disrespectful. But that sounds like a, a a child's program at this point, right here. And, it does. And I and again, I don't mean to be disrespectful. And but here 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 here's the problem that I see developing. This this woman is telling you that your angels are trying to get a hold of you, trying to get your attention. So far, we haven't seen any angel try to get somebody's attention without getting their attention, without almost getting in their face and saying, "Hey." Look, I have a message for you. That's the first thing. Second thing is she references the Bible, okay, with the rainbow. She said, well, that's God's message. If you're going to reference the Bible, are you going to follow through with the reference, or are you just going to use it as a piece of credibility for yourself and then go down whatever path you want to? can't do that. As far as I'm concerned, you can't do I mean, you can do whatever you want, I suppose, but not if you're going to be true to Scripture. So we've got Gabriel so far, and we're going to come back to her in more of these signs, which are really, really quite fascinating, actually. 
We've got Gabriel Jonathan showing up, delivering really important messages. Who else is mentioned from the heavenly host by name? Well, another one, Rick, is Michael the Archangel, one of the chief of angels. Okay. Now, here is a spiritual being who is in higher authority and power, okay, even than Gabriel. He's introduced as one who is mighty and one who is above the angels in his responsibilities. Michael, in our next scripture, is shown to be dealing directly with Satan in a nose-to-nose confrontation. And now this is interesting. Just Let's read this scripture, because this is a fascinating thing here. Jude chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Yet, in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So, Michael the archangel is of great power to be able to stand in front of Satan and to essentially thwart something Satan's trying to do. That's right. And and that gives you a sense of incredible power because Satan was of great, 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 great power before he he fell from heaven. So you've got Michael here uh, being in a whole, in a category kind of all by himself in terms of his power and his authority. Kind of an interesting thing. Michael shows up a couple more times, and we'll touch on that in, in, in just another minute. Um, let, let's go to another soundbite. Um, again, this is an entirely different subject matter. This is from Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr., Four Things Angels Do For You. And he brings up four relatively, I think, sound principles of, of angelic uh, behavior. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them as we come up to each one of them and, and just see how they compare with what we think the scriptures teach. If you're a Christian, angels have been sent forth to help you throughout your life. And there's several different things that they will do in their purpose that's connected with you. First, we see that angels are sent to strengthen you in your specific purpose. Two times in the life of Jesus, we see that angels came and ministered to him. The first time we see it is when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And finally, when the devil left him and quit tempting him, the Bible says angels in immediately came and ministered to him and strengthened and refreshed him. Secondly, when Jesus was in the garden praying and asking the Lord to let that cup of suffering, which was the crucifixion, pass from him, the Bible says angels came and they hosted him and ministered to him and they strengthened and refreshed him there. Okay, so he's taking the experiences of Jesus and saying, look, these things happen to Jesus, they're supposed to happen to you. So when you hear that, Jonathan, what, what's, what's, your, what's your response? Well, uh, do we put ourselves on the same par as Jesus? I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We want to follow him humbly. Right. Uh, but, um, I mean, strengthening us if we needed it and the Lord saw fit, maybe he would send something to encourage us along some line. But, but one thing he mentioned that I'm not quite in agreement with with was when he was in the garden praying that this cup be removed. I don't believe it was the crucifixion he was praying for, Rick. I, I believe it was being accused of a blasphemer of God. You know, this is the son of God giving his life for humanity. That was his mission. And he was not going to let anything stop him from 
being sacrificed on that cross, but being a blasphemer of God saying that, you know, you, you're offending God by the words that you say, everything he did was because right. of his father from right. heaven. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I, I, I think that to, to say that he wanted the, the crucifixion scene to be removed, um, he spoke of that as his future. He, he, he prepared his disciples for it very carefully as to what was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He accepted it was going to happen. For this cause came I into the world. That's what he said. So you're right. We have to understand the, the, the bigger picture on that. Now, the interesting thing about the angels, the angels did come and strengthen him, but he was Jesus, the Messiah. We have an instance in the Old Testament where an angel came and strengthened uh, Elijah. Remember, Elijah felt like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm useless, you know, uh, I should die because I, you know, we defeated the prophets of Baal and yet I'm running for my life. And an angel wakes him up and, and, hel- and feeds him and so forth. You know, we, we have that. We have the angel strengthening Daniel. We have, we have the messenger strengthening, strengthening, strengthening Daniel. So that did happen, but it didn't happen to the average person in, no. an, in an outward kind of way. So again, I think that's something we need, do need to be careful of. Now, Michael enters into the following experiences protector so that Gabriel can deliver his message. This is interesting. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. Remember, we're reading in Daniel 9, Gabriel is there with Daniel. This is an interesting part of, of what goes on uh, behind the scenes, if you will, that Gabriel uh, is uh, relaying to Daniel. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the king of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of Persia. And I think the king of Persia is a representation of Satan. And yes, I think so that I. what was happening, Gabriel is explaining, I'd have come sooner, but Satan was standing in my way. And it took... Michael, one of the chief princes, to hold him off so I could come to you. That shows you a powerful struggle in the heavenlies that we have no clue about. You're right, Rick. Michael is again called on to stand up, uh, stand for and protect the people of God, again in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So Michael stands up, the great prince, as a protector. It's interesting, Michael's not delivering messages, but he's doing a lot of protecting. He is. Big protecting behind the scenes. And further, we see Jesus in this next scripture, in the context of his, of his return, having the voice of the protector of God's own people, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it gives you a sense of the connection of Jesus, Michael. Michael, Jesus, the voice of the arch, the protector. And I think that's a powerful, powerful, powerful statement there. What's our angel observation for this, this segment? Well, the two spiritual beings named here had far too much authority to deal with everyday human life. The Bible certainly does not present angels to humans as a 
first name basis. Okay. We are not on a first name basis with angels. The scriptures don't tell us anything even close to that. It certainly is beginning to look like we need to approach the whole angel topic with sober respect. What about regular angels? Are they limited in their knowledge, power, and interaction with humanity? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. We're working from the top down, and beneath Michael and Gabriel, we find a whole host of angelic beings. Too often, we as wishful humans want to have the privilege of knowing the angels we believe are around us. The question we have to ask is, did God plan for that knowledge to happen, or did he plan for us to not know? And that's a really important question. Is it part of God's plan for us to know about the angels around us, or is it part of his plan for us to not know? Good question. Well, got to look at the scriptures, I think, to get our sense of how all of that actually works together. Let's go back to the uh, the guy with the tornado. I mean, he's he's he's... Uh, sought shelter from this F4 tornado. It is a massive, 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 powerful storm. And he's under this bridge embankment thing. And there's this guy sitting there perfectly calm and not seeming to be rattled by anything. Let's listen to the next part. After what felt like an eternity, the wind finally ended. The man was still nearby. When it was all over with, and I come out from that little cubbyhole that I was in, I remember looking and seeing him stand back up over there. I didn't see him get up under anything. I didn't see him crawl out from under things. It's just when I, I got out and looked over there, I seen him stand back up. Soon after the twister left, emergency personnel arrived on the scene. I saw my truck tore up. There were people screaming. Paramedics and, and, and police were there on the scene right already. There was a lot of cars flipped upside down, tore up in the road and stuff. The paramedics were looking in the vehicles, and they were asking where I was, and I, I, I heard them, and I, I said, here I am, and I, I run down the embankment, stepped over. I said, I was, I'm up here with this fellow, and I turned around and pointed, and there wasn't nobody up there. Okay, gets more weird. <laughs> you know, he, he gets through this thing, you know, and it really does seem pretty, pretty, pretty miraculous that you can survive something like that because the power of such wind and such pressure is is incomprehensible to the human human condition here it's just it's just so big so you know you got to ask yourself the question was that a miracle that took place and we'll 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 touch on that in in a few minutes so jonathan in this segment you know what we want to do is get to more regular angels first of all let's let's kind of try to figure out i know we don't know the answer but let's try how many angels are there? Well, you know, there's a few scriptures that give us a sense, and the answer is a lot. But let's look at Hebrews 12:22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Okay, the word for myriads is often translated ten thousands. So... You know, if you have myriads plural, you have 10,000 times however many that plural is. 
And the, the first sense you get is nobody's really counting here, but what they're saying is it's such a large number that it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Psalm 68, verses 17 and 18 also gives you that, that sense of impressively enormous numbers. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. Okay, now, now Jonathan, uh, just, just one quick point. It says the chariots of God are myriads and thousands upon thousands. So, you know, you have this huge, huge, huge number. Interesting point about the symbolism of chariots in Scripture. Chariots, I believe, always refer to elements of war. So it gives you the sense that the angelic host that are there to fight for righteousness are myriads and thousands upon thousands and thousands and thousands. And you think, what if that's just part of the angelic host? What's that? What if that's just part of the whole heavenly host? That's just like one small segment. There's others that do other things. You get a sense of, man, there's a lot of them up there. That makes sense, Rick. It really does. Now, Rick, what about the things uh, like you hear on YouTube or like um, this man that this possible miracle just took place um, or, or the, the concept of, oh, an angel's talking to you. Go to the light. Walk to the light. What's, what's your take on, on those things? You know, a lot of it, my answer is I don't know. I just don't, you know, because you do hear about people and, and you, you have a sense of, um, they, they say, well, it must have been an angel. I guess my big question is, and, you know, you don't doubt the, the event, but my question would be, why? Why would there be, with what we know of angels from Scripture, why would there be an angel in this particular situation for this particular person at this particular time? Because what we are beginning to see with angels is they are very specific with very clear instructions from God. They're not hanging around um, just for the sake of hanging around. Now, you bring up guardian angels. We'll talk about that next segment. So okay. let's expand that a little further in the next segment, okay? So let, let's get back to that next segment. That's a good place to, to bring it up again. What kind of power do angels have? Let's look at Psalm 103, 19 to 21. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, whom perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you are serving him, doing his will. So it says, you know, mighty in strength are those angels who perform God's word. They are obeying the voice of his word. That's why they're strong, because they're obeying God. And they continue to serve him, and that's why they stay strong. So there is great power, because the power comes from God. The power of angels, for us, I think is incalculable from a human perspective, and it comes from God himself. And that says something about the kind of power you're looking at. What about Ephesians 1, 20-21? Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And again, I think that gives us a good sense of the hierarchy and the strength of this hierarchy, because it's talking about Jesus, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. And where is that right hand of God? Well, it says in verse 21, it's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. 
That's talking about the other heavenly host. So you've got a lot of strength and power, all God-driven in that picture. And Jesus, of course, rises above all of it. And all of, right. it, all of it becomes subservient to him. Jonathan, just, just a, a separate thought that we don't have scripture on at this point, but a thought that we need to carry is that every instance an angel appeared in the scriptures, they did their work and then they left. Check it out. Look up. Anytime an angel appears in Scripture, and you will find that once their work is done, they go. They don't hang around for coffee. They go. They don't get on Facebook and talk about their experiences. They go. They are deputized from God to perform specific work. And then when their work is done, they are done. This is important in our understanding. With that said, Let's go back to this woman who says, you know, recognizing angel signs can come in all kinds of voices and shapes and sizes and all kinds of things. Let's hear what she says in this next segment. Voices. Have you ever turned around and said, I could have swore somebody just called me? Hearing your name called by a disembodied voice is actually a common experience. It happens to most people as they're awakening from sleep since that's when we are most open to hearing the angels because our ego sleeps. The voice of God and the angels is that of love and wisdom. When they speak up, it's loud, clear, and unmistakable. Numbers are another sign that the angels leave. Have you ever consistently looked at the clock and seen the same numbers over and over again? These are signs from your angels. They connect with us through a different language, which consists of symbols and numbers. For example, the number 11 is a number that angels use to let us know that they're there with us. Butterflies. Butterflies are signs of transformation. The beautiful insects are frequently sent to us by our lost loved ones, either to remind us that they're always watching over us and nearby, or just to let us know that they're okay. Okay, Jonathan, voices, numbers, butterflies. Well, the first thing that um, I really have a question on is she's now taken with the butterfly concept angels and now turned them into lost loved ones. Yeah. She combined the two. Yes. Um, and we've done many programs on where are the dead uh, and basically they're waiting for resurrection and they're not communicating with us. So I, I have a, you know, a different uh, take on on that. Yeah, I would say very different take. And, and, and you know, the idea that you're, they're trying to get your attention. Where in Scripture do you see an angel trying to get somebody's attention? Um, the only one I can think of is Balaam with the donkey. You know, the donkey saw the angel in front, and uh, Balaam was, you know, beating the donkey up, and, you know, and, and he could not move forward because there was an angel blocking his way. Um, so, but it is not a common occurrence. It just isn't. Angels aren't trying to tap you on the shoulder saying, hey, look, here's the number 11. That means there's an angel there. Come on, folks, really, really. You know, that's not at all even remotely scriptural. When you mention God and wisdom and love and God's love and all of that in the same context of this, that bothers me because you're taking God's love and wisdom out of the context of the book in which he put his love and wisdom. Let's stay with that. Angels have limitations. Good angels don't know all the answers, but they do observe us. We know that from Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, 
but the Father alone. Talking about the time of Jesus' return. The angels didn't even know when it would happen. First Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. So that's kind of an interesting thing because the Apostle Peter is telling us that the good news of the gospel is such good news and there's so much wonderful detail into how it will unfold that the angels want to know. And that's kind of cool because we're trying to figure it out and the angels don't know everything, but they know, know enough and they're doing the will of God. But it gives you a sense that they're incredibly powerful, but they still have limitations. Makes and I, sense, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that all fits in, in, in God's glorious, glorious plan and hierarchy in the, in the heavenlies. Another, another point, Jonathan, that I think is important, every instance in, when, in which angels appeared in the New Testament was directly related to the developing of an infant stage gospel church. And Rick, isn't that because Satan was so busy trying to thwart the gospel? Yes. God made sure it would go forward. So there, he helped get that done. And we'll, we'll touch on one or two of those instances as we go through the, the rest of the podcast. But just remember, angels come to do a specific work. And the work that they did in the Bible was of very high value, not just for the person, but for the world. And that's why when you say, well, didn't an angel come visit that person? I say, well, it doesn't seem to fit with what we know of the gospel. Let's change gears again. Four things angels do for you, Ted Shuttersworth. And the first thing he said, you know, they protect you. And, you know, and you take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Okay, well, we're doing a lot of that today. But that's okay. Good to have different perspectives. Let's hear the second thing that angels do uh, for you, according to Ted Shuttersworth. Number two, the Bible teaches us that the second purpose of angels is to do the will or the pleasure of God on the earth. And so anywhere you can find in the word of God that God takes pleasure in doing something, then you know that his angels have been assigned to carry out that pleasure. The Bible says that God, the Lord, takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. We know that God takes pleasure in touching and healing his children. The Bible tells us that God takes pleasure in bringing deliverance to the captives. And so anywhere you can see in the word of God that God takes pleasure in something, the Bible says angels are the workers that actually fulfill that thing and get it done on the earth. All right, Jonathan, I see you nodding your head a lot during that Ooh. one. Well, well, first <laughs> of all, doing the will of God is what they're sent to do. Amen. Because they're only sent for specific purposes that God says this needs to be done. So they do it. That's great. But he desires, the angels are helping us be pros, prosperous and they heal us. Uh, I don't know. What What is your take on that, Rick? Well, the and of course, folks, you know what we think about the prosperity gospel. Um, the abundance that we are supposed to receive is supposed to be spiritual abundance, not earthly abundance. And the idea that the angels, the angels want us to prosper spiritually, but it's not about stuff. When you, and you say, well, you know, they want, you know, they take pleasure in, in, in God healing his children. Well, look, when Jesus did the healing, who did he heal? It wasn't believers, if you remember right. 
It, That's it, right. It was the, the, the average public. When the apostles healed, who did they heal? It wasn't believers. It was everybody else. So let's put it all in perspective. And see, what we want to do, Jonathan, I think, is because angels exist, we want a piece of that. <laughs> That's what we want. We want to have that be really relevant to what we are doing. And the scriptures make it relevant, but in a way that probably isn't exciting. Okay, in a way that doesn't fulfill those desires that we're looking at here. So, you know, there, there, there's lots to be said. Doing the will of God, amen, absolutely. Angels can only be sent at the command of the Father. Not even Jesus, as a man, could release them to do any work. This is an interesting scripture, Matthew twenty six fifty two to 53. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? A legion is 6,000. 12 legions, that's 72,000 angels. Jesus couldn't call the angels. He could ask his father to gift the angels to him for his protection. That's important. Jesus couldn't call the angels to him. Why do we think we can Ooh, good point, Rick. God's angels always carry out the will of God without changing it. That's another important thing. If the word of God tells us the will of God, we can't change it. Galatians 1.8. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preached any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So the Apostle Paul is saying, even if I start preaching a different gospel, I should be accursed. If an angel from God came and preached another gospel, he should be accursed. Angels have limitations. They have to do the will of God. What's our angel observation for this segment? Though extremely powerful, angels are limited to doing the will of God when God commands it. They don't know everything and have specific and limited human interactions. Okay. They are powerful. They are limited. They do the will of God. And it's all in God's way and God's time all of that, and we have nothing to do with it. It seems like we have now put big and sweeping perspectives in place. Now it's time for some details. Are guardian angels real? Does everyone have one? Are we supposed to get to know them? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. For many, this is where the biggest divide begins, guardian angels. We've established that angels are part of a spiritual hierarchy, and they're specifically sent by God. What about their accessibility to us as individuals? Can we follow along with them in life, or are we, or are we not even supposed to know that they're there? Those are two dramatically different ways of looking at things, and there are lots of people on both of those dramatic ends of the spectrum. So this segment, it's about guardian angels. Now, let's get back to the guy who really kind of felt like he had a guardian angel right there with him. Let's listen. This was the guy who was, uh, survived that uh, F4 tornado. There wasn't no blanket up there. There wasn't no man up there. And the only way he could have come down was with me or beside me. He had to come down the same way I did because there was so much destruction on both sides of the 
embankment of that uh, overpass. And I asked people there, did y'all see another fellow? No, no, we didn't see him. Well, well, he may have got he may have got sucked up in the tornado. I said, no, he was there. I saw him. I know what I saw. He believes God sent him an angel to help him face the incredible force of that F4 tornado. So the question, did God send him an angel? My answer is, I don't know. My answer is, I don't know. But if God, if we're considering that, the question we have to ask ourselves is why would God do that in that circumstance? And does that fit with the scriptural context that we've seen with angels? Gotta always try to put it back to the scriptural context and not let ourselves run ahead of the way God has shown us that he deals with us when it comes to angels. So let's go down another road that's difficult. What about children? Do they have guardian angels? Let's look at Matthew 18.10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So he's saying that in Matthew 18.10, don't despise one of these little ones. Sounds like he's talking about children, doesn't it? It does. And he says they have angels. So that's a scripture that many people quote and say, see, all children have guardian angels. But is that what Jesus is saying? How do you figure that out? Your favorite word, Rick, the word context. That's right. It has been for a very long time in my life. <laughs> Go to the context to find the answer. Matthew 18 we read verse 10. Let's now go verses 1 through 6. We'll take it in a few pieces. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Jesus literally has a child in front of him. He's probably holding on to this little kid. Can you imagine being that little kid, just standing there with Jesus? Would that have been like the most awesome thing you could ever imagine? What a privilege that would have been. <laughs> just, I, I mean, anyway, back to the story. Uh, so Jesus has a child, and he's saying to his followers, he's saying to the, the disciples, he's saying, you have to become like this small child. You have to have the humility, the teachableness, the willingness to follow that this small child has so you can become great in the kingdom of heaven. Be humble like a child. Be humble like this small child that I have before you. Now he's going to continue to speak about humble followers. And Jonathan, stop right after verse 5. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So you stop at that point and you say, okay, whoever receives one such child, what child? Is he talking about the kid? Or is he talking about his disciples being childlike. Let's go further. Disciples. (laughs) Well, let's go further because the context will answer it for us. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So, Jonathan, you said it's definitely his disciples. Why? Because those who believe in me. 
that's giving them the description that is footstep followers of Jesus that have angels, guardian angels, that are ever before God. So Jesus is using the example of a child to talk about adults being childlike in their humility. Teachable, yes. So Jesus is clearly carrying the thought of his followers being like children. Yes. Now, look, you can take that a couple different ways. You know, a lot of times we say (laughs) we'll grow up, right? (laughs) That is not the way it's being applied here. Jesus made it very clear. Whoever then humbles himself as this child. He's using a very specific characteristic of humility and teachableness and saying, you have got to become like this. And now let's go back to Matthew 18, verse 10. We started with it. Now let's go back. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that the angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So, Rick, based on the context, everyone does not have a guardian angel, only footstep followers of Christ. But do the scriptures show that anyone else could have? guardian angels. Okay, so first of all, let me just take your statement apart a little bit, because the first thing you said blows up a lot of a lot of people's beliefs, because there's many, 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 many people that, 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 that just have the sense that, well, everybody's got a guardian angel. And what we're saying here is, according to the scripture, well, not really so much, because the idea is that it's talking about those who have the humility to be great in the kingdom of heaven are the ones with guardian angels. It's not saying everybody, it's saying specifically them. And it makes sense, Rick, because there's an enemy that is trying to attack footstep followers of Christ. Right. So without that protection, we would crumble. Yes, yes. And that protection happens in ways that we never even know about. It really, truly does. With all of this profound realization, let's go back to that woman again. And I know it's kind of break the momentum, but got to do it, okay? How to recognize signs and symbols from the angels. And she brings us three more factors that she believes are angelic, trying to get your attention uh, responses in life. Sometimes those that we've lost will remind us of their presence by surrounding us with a particular fragrance or smell that makes us think of them. So take note of any familiar aromas that waft your way. You never know. They might just be a sign from a deceased loved one. Dreams. Angels and deceased loved ones will often come to us while we sleep, as this tends to be the time we're most relaxed and receptive. Generally speaking, these will be more vivid than your regular dreams and remain in your mind much fresher and much longer. Have you ever seen sparkles of light at the corner of your eye? Or maybe something whiz by? Well, this is your angels. Depending on their color, the messages will usually be sent by the angel whose help you need the most at that time. If you've been going through a hard time, for instance, and keep seeing green sparkles everywhere you go, it could be a sign from Archangel Raphael, the angel synonymous with healing. Okay, Jonathan, aromas, dreams, and your eyes. Oh, my. Well, first of all, again, <laughs> signs from your lost loved ones. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The, right. you know, people are in the, the graves waiting for resurrection. That's why Jesus gave his life a ransom. But, Rick, how about if you see sparkles or light in your eye? Yeah. 
go to the doctor <laughs> because it could be a torn retina. I've had several torn retinas and walking in the dark, ready to go to bed, I see these flashes of light. And if you don't go immediately, it could be a detached retina. So definitely go to the doctor oh. if you see um, bright lights. Uh, on the sides in, of your eyes. Yeah, you know, on the sides oh, of your eyes. Okay. Yeah. You know, and again, and again, folks, why, why are we bringing this up? Because this is a legitimate perspective from many, many, many people. Look it up and you're going to see that there's lots of people that adhere to all of these types of things. This is not the only person who's saying these kinds of things. And the point is, when we look at how angels worked in the scriptures and how they're proposing they work now, those are completely different stories. There's almost nothing in common except they mention God in the Bible a few times. That's the only commonality. And the, 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 you know, now they gave an angel a name there. You know, I don't, I wonder where that came from. The angel Raphael. I don't know. You know, I don't either. I, 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 I don't want to know. And, uh, you know, we'll, next week we'll talk more about that kind of thing. Jonathan, let's get back to God's angels are being over, watching over God's chosen ones. Because you mentioned the called out ones, but let's let's see if, if God expands that through Old Testament scripture. Psalm 91, verses 11 to 13. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. So there is a very specific promise in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a great psalm. And he says he's going to give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. Concerning, give his angels charge concerning who? Who would this be? Followers of Jesus. Okay, followers of Jesus. Let's go to Psalm 34, 7, and I think this now begins to expand it a little bit more. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and rescues them. Now, it could be far more than followers of Jesus with that verse, no? That's right. Uh, those that reverence God. and Now, think about the Old Testament and the individuals that had a, a love and reverence for God and did his will in other ways before Christ was even on the scene, Rick. So, he protected them. Yeah, and, and, and we see a lot of evidence of that in the Old Testament, a lot of evidence. So that angel of the Lord encamping around about those who fear him and rescuing them, that gives us a sense that God's angels are active in ways that... Now look, when you say they're camping around about you, so does that mean if I look out my window and I look very carefully, I'll see their tents set up? No. No, of course not. They are, they are encamping around about us in a way that we don't understand protecting us in ways that are beyond our imagination because there is a heavenly, not a heavenly, but, well, a, a spiritual battle going on. And it's good versus evil. And Satan is the ruler of this world for now. And he does not want anyone who reveres God and follows Jesus to be successful. That's right. And so God gives us an insurance policy called guardian angels. We don't know what they do. We don't know their names, nor should we. We should just be thankful those scriptures are there to give us a sense that there are battles being fought, I believe, on our behalf that we don't even know about. Someday, by God's grace, we may find out. Hebrews 1, uh, 13 and 14. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service 
for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's a powerful statement. These angels are ministering spirits sent for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That is directly talking about those called out to to follow Christ. Yes. That's amazing when you think about that. That's how much God cares about you. If you are a footstep follower of Christ, man, you have got the greatest protection ever. It doesn't mean you're not going to get in trouble. It doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. It doesn't mean somebody might, you know, you're going to be protected from death or anything like that. It simply means that you are protected so that the will of God can be done in your life through trials and, and difficulties. Let's go back to four things angels do for you, Ted Shuttlesworth. Uh, we're on to his third point. The third thing that angels do is that they fight on behalf of God's people. I remember the story from 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha was surrounded by the enemy army in the city where he was staying. And his servant was nervous thinking that they were going to be captured and destroyed. But Elisha prayed and said, God, open up his eyes and let him see what I can see. And immediately the servant saw angelic armies surrounding their enemies. All throughout the Bible we can see angels fighting on behalf of God's people. The interesting thing was those angels were not visible until they were requested to be visible. And I think that's a great principle for us. So, Jonathan, how how should we treat angels? Should we worship them? No. Okay, let's look at Matthew 4.10. This makes it pretty pretty simple, I think. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You know, we had talked about Michael and Gabriel being the two named individuals from the heavenly host. Yes. There was a third. That's right. Lucifer was his original name, wasn't it? Right. And that is Satan, the deceiver, the opposer. So, you know, you have that. And what Satan was asking Jesus to do was to bow down and worship him, Satan. And An Je- angel. Right. And Jesus' response was, you don't worship anybody but the Lord your God. Period. Stop. So we can't have this sense of looking up to and bowing down and reverencing the angels as an object of our, of our worship and our devotion. They are a tool of God for, on our behalf. We should be thankful for them. Big difference. Well, what about asking angels for help or favors? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty sure about that, aren't you? Oh, I am. Okay. How do we ask for help and favors? Well, look at this. John chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here's the thing. For those of us who have this this thing about trying to get in touch with your angels and trying to, 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 to make them part of your everyday life and learn their names and find out what they're about and you know sort of interact and react and, and, re, and rely upon them. Jesus himself is saying to us, if you need anything, ask it in my name. Not, don't, don't, and who's he saying to ask? He's saying to pray, God. This, 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 is not, this is not some little thing. Oh, go to your angel, hand your angel a note so your angel can take the note and hand it to God. That's not the process. Go before the throne of heavenly grace to find grace and help in time of need. What's our angel observation here, Jonathan, for this segment? We are simply not given the wherewithal or authority to observe angels. They operate in a very focused and spiritual world 
that we simply do not have access to. We better remember it's that simple. We don't have access to that world, and we shouldn't try. Okay. The simple truth is that angels are above and beyond us. We need to settle in and respect that. If we can't interact with angels and they don't even pay attention to most of us, then what's the point? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. The point of this whole thing is that we as Christians need to understand what the guidelines are so we're not tempted to go down the wrong path. It is far too easy to fall into the temptation of... And this probably won't sound so, will probably sound kind of bad, but fall into the temptation of feeling like we are more special and more privileged than we are meant to be. Rick, talking about following, falling down the wrong path, what came to mind is there, there are fallen angels, yes. those that are not doing God's will. Yes. There are spiritists that speak with these angels. There's mediums that are communicating with those you're not supposed to communicate with. Even children's games out there are like Ouija boards or seances or the eight ball is trying to communicate in ways we shouldn't. And I have a feeling some of these things we're going to talk about maybe next week. Yeah, you know, because the, 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 the counter discussion of angels is demons. And, you know, we all, we have a, a very impressive view in our minds of what demons look like. Just remember that Satan's, that, that the scripture said that Satan and his messengers, you know, uh, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so what you may see in your mind's eye as being beautiful and impressive may be actually devious and evil. How do you tell the difference? That's coming up next week. Thanks for bringing that up. One last time, Jonathan, with our, our, our friend who is trying to get you to recognize angels in every aspect of your life. Her, her final uh, three uh, pieces are in this segment here. Books and magazines are another way that the angels can reach out to us. Next time a meaningful piece of writing grabs your attention, whether it's a book suddenly falling from a shelf as you walk by, or words in a magazine that instantly catch your eye, Take a moment to read what they say. You'll be amazed at how often they'll relate in some way to your current situations. Buildings and advertising slogans could be something simple as asking Archangel Michael to help and then notice a building named St. Michael's shortly after. A sure sign he has heard your call and is there if you need him. So make sure you look out for any recurring slogans on billboards shop names or roads that seem to strike a chord with you angel shapes never underestimate how clever angels can be they're all around us and can physically appear in the form of an outline or shape in in almost anything from the clouds in the sky to the bubbles in your bath don't ever underestimate the power of the angels okay there's a lot here, and unfortunately, none of it is good. Uh, 
Rick, Rick, naturally, we look for answers to prayer in, in, in everyday life, right? right? Yes. We're, we're human and we're, we're seeking um, God's will. And, and we see numbers and things that are very interesting to us. But does that mean they're angelic messages? Well, no, and, and that's a really important point. A lot of this, Jonathan, that she's describing is the human mind at work. The human mind is marvelous. It has got brilliance in it, and it observes things and can 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 uh, create pictures and things. And I, so, it's the human mind at work. This idea that you're calling on the, the, the archangel Michael, really? I mean, of all of the heavenly hosts that we have talked about, Michael is the highest. And I think that. I have a in with Michael? Really? Come on now, stop. You know, it, 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 what it does is it takes biblical principles and it turns them into a carnival. That's what she's done. I'm sorry. It's, she's turned it into this carnival where there's treats and there's fun and there's cotton candy and there's balloons and there's music and there's dancing and there's fun and tra-la-la, angels love you, you love angels, everything's good. That's not the, what the Bible says. Let's stay with what the scriptures show us. Angel, angelic care, Jonathan, was evident for the apostles. They were not spared hardship. That's an important thing, but they were delivered for the purpose of continuing to promote the gospel. Great scripture in Acts five seventeen to 21. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Okay, so they were preaching. They were causing trouble by their preaching. They were thrown in prison because of their preaching. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So the angel releases them for the purpose of preaching. Then what happens? And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. So they listened. First thing in the morning. You notice it, you know, I mean, they're, they're talking about uh, their um, by night. At night, they were released early in the morning. It's not that it's like they slept late because they had a uh, you know, busy night being rescued from prison. They were up early in the morning to fulfill what the angel had taught, told them to do. This is a very literal literal application of freedom with responsibility for all of the apostles. That's right. Go ahead. And Rick, um, one, one of the points that I was thinking about throughout this subject, we don't activate angels ourselves. Mm -hmm. God does only if it's necessary. Yeah. And it's got to be necessary. I mean, he is busy doing his will. And, you know, in our puny little lives, there's probably very rarely, if any times, um, we would need major assistance. Well, yeah. And, and again, what, what do you do with all of the instances that people say, you know, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, well, an angel was there and delivered. I don't know. But the question is, why? And does it fit with all of the other things we know about angels from Scripture. Why would we think it's different now than it was then? See, I don't have a, a sense of scriptural uh, precedence that gives me permission to go down those roads. 
And so, and that's why personally I avoid them because if I don't get spirit, scriptural permission, I don't think I want to go. <laughs> Just, I think I'll <laughs> gotcha. stay home. Thank you this time. <laughs> anyway, last uh, soundbite: four things angels do for you from Ted Shuttlesworth. Um, here's his fourth point. The final thing we see that angels are assigned to do in the Bible is to protect the children of God. The Bible says in Psalm 91 that he will order his angels to be with you and protect you wherever you go. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we activate this angelic assistance? How do we get angels moving on our behalf? Well, the Bible teaches us very clearly that it is through our words in prayer that angels are activated on our behalf. In Daniel chapter 10, when the angel arrives to speak to him, he says, your words were heard and I am here in response to your words. Okay. So he's taking a scripture and I get where he's going with that. And I do believe that angels protect God's children. Absolutely. I think that point is valid. But to say that we, and you just said it, we don't activate anything. And he says, well, how do we activate it? Well, look at Daniel. Who was Daniel? Daniel, Jonathan, was the most prolific time prophet in all of Scripture. God gave him such incredible insight into future events that as they unfolded became documented history into the timelines of God's plan that no one else was given the bulk of that information. I truly believe that Daniel was so important that Satan was trying to crush him. And that's why the angel came, because his work would stand uh, as a, a, a pivotal piece for the promotion of the gospel later. It's because we understand many parts of Daniel that we understand the, the, the timing of Jesus and his first uh, advent and his return and the kingdom and so forth. It's because of Daniel. That's why when Daniel prayed for help, he got it in the form of the angel Gabriel. So let's not... Con- I'm no Daniel. Just, just saying. Okay, we're we're not in that category. Um, angels showed up at key points in the gospel, and uh, we're going to start to wind down now. Peter and Cornelius. This is a wonderful story. We could do two podcasts on this. Acts chapter ten, verses one to five, and of course Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's not even a Jewish man who's about to be converted to to Christianity. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God, who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. You know, and I often wonder if that angel was Gabriel. I don't know. Could have been. Maybe not. His name's not mentioned. Cornelius needed an angel, because he's not coming from a Jewish background. And maybe Gabriel, if it was him, just didn't need to tell him his name. He just said, look, I'm an angel of God. He's like, okay, what do you want? (laughs) What happens? (laughs) And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. So the angel gives Uh, uh, um, Cornelius very specific instructions. Cornelius needed angelic intervention because he was on the outside looking in and he knew it. This gave him permission to act because it was something 
of something godly that came before him unmistakably. And so then he acts. It shows his humility. Uh, and, and so he didn't have the spirit yet. He needed clarity. The angel provided that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Acts ten seventeen through 20, this is Peter on the other side of this experience. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Okay, so they... Uh, these guys show up, and Peter, when they show up, Peter is having an issue, right? He's having a vision going on, (laughs) yes. And he's like thinking, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, all these unclean animals, and God says, partake and eat. What I have made clean is clean. And he's saying, what is this about? And so he's, he's reflecting on this, and these guys show up literally at that time. Go ahead, verse 19 and 20. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So the spirit, God's power, God's power speaks to Peter. Notice it doesn't say there's an angel. Why does Peter not need an angel? Because he's got God's spirit indwelling in him. The power and influence of God working in his life. And that power and influence says... Go with them because they are going to bring you to open up a whole new door for Christianity. And Rick, both of these guys were being obedient to God's message without question, yes. weren't they? Yes. And it's interesting. Cornelius needs an angel. Peter doesn't because of the circumstance. And again, that's another lesson. Angels are not just arbitrarily showing up because, hey, there's an opportunity for a message to be delivered. Maybe I should go deliver it. For footstep followers of Jesus... We're not supposed to need angels to talk to. We've got God's Spirit to guide us. And think of the impact of what this meant to the Gentiles, yeah. this experience. That, they opened the door. Right, and that's why an angel was necessary. Every time the gospel needed to take a major step, angels were there to assist it. And Jonathan, that tells you the, the whole the whole picture of, of how angels work. So... Let's try to sum up. We've got one, two, three, five basic key points about angelic intervention. And folks, you got to ask yourself, am I in any of these situations and should I be looking for angelic intervention? What's the first key point? A key point is when God's plan would be impossible to understand for Abraham, Mary, and Zacharias. Okay, there were very specific things where understanding God's plan is just is a complete mystery. It's beyond human comprehension. Angels showed up in the Bible to make that understanding plain. That's one place angels did show up. What else? At key points when God's plan required specific prophecies to be written, like in Daniel and Zechariah. So you have the necessity for the creation of the Bible. Angels helped get that done for those who would write these incredibly powerful and important prophecies. Makes sense. You need that help. God provided the help because that help has, that, that it lasts for ages. That one angelic visit lasts a long time. What else? 
At key points when God's human messengers needed extra assistance, like Elijah, Hagar, Gideon. So you've got several individuals who were really in a tough spot, and they were being used by God for very specific reasons. And in each case, an angel comes and gives them the strength to carry on when they don't think they can. What else? At key points when God's plan was in danger of being thwarted, like the apostles in prison. And that's such an important thing. You know, when the plan of God is at stake, look, not my plan, not your plan, not what I'd like to see happen is at stake, but when God's plan is at stake, then you have the authority of angelic uh, visitation. And finally, what's the last point? At key points when God's plan was to be expanded, like Peter and Cornelius. So, Jonathan, what we see is guardian angels are behind the scenes. They're there, but we're not supposed to know, and we're supposed to be thankful for them and thankful for God's providence. But all of this other, in, in, these other instances show us that angels do play a role, but it's something that is beyond us. What's our final angelic observation? God uses angels for the benefit of his plans and purposes and engages them in specific circumstances and with specific people. Angelic activity is always an extension of God's will. And I think we need to really sit on that last phrase. Just, just, just say, say that last sentence again. Angelic activity is always an extension of God's will. Okay, it's always an extension of God's will, not my will, not your will, not what would be really cool and really nice, and boy, it would be nice to know who my guardian angel is and all of that. That has nothing to do with the will of God. The will of God that's being spoken of here is the big plan of the ages, and God uses angels to help that plan come to its fruition. And in our lives, if we're followers of Christ, the only way those angels are used according to Scripture is behind the scenes to protect us on a level that we don't even know exists. How great is our God? How great are those angels that are there to protect us? Folks, you've got to put this in perspective to understand and appreciate true angelic behavior. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's a fascinating subject, and next week, you know, we're going to be going even further on it. But angels, don't take them for granted and don't minimize them. Think about it. And folks, remember, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And again, coming up next week, how do demons, how do demons influence our world? You don't want to miss that. We'll talk to you next week.